This is The Unseen, and I'm your host, Mike Cleland. On this episode, I am quite honored to talk to Alan Stevelman, and he is an Argentinian filmmaker who has just made a remarkable documentary called Witness of Another World. We talk about this in the beginning of our interview, but then we move on to an older film, a film that he did in 2013 called Humano, and that is going to be the core of this interview. What I do want to say, and I say this very early on in the interview also, is that anyone listening to this should see Witness of Another World. It is a remarkably touching, lovely documentary. It is about the UFO contact experience. It is framed in a way that I have never seen a filmmaker try to so tenderly portray someone who has had the direct contact experience. Having listened to him talk to both Whitley and a handful of other podcasters, the stories he shares, I I feel like I can safely say that movie, Witness of Another World, was made not only in a synchronistic cloud, where coincidences were unfolding in a way that propelled the movie forward, I would say that that movie had to happen. It happened magically. That might be a bold statement, but, uh, but that's, that is certainly how it feels. And I, and I think I can safely say that about his first movie, too, the focus of this audio interview, the movie Humano. This audio conversation was recorded Tuesday, November 19th, 2019. Please enjoy. Alan, I want to thank you so much to saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to to be with you, and thanks for for having me. Now, first off, I want to say I, I found your film, Witness of Another World, really truly moving um i and i just so you know the listeners to this website are very well versed they're up to speed they are very um open and and receptive to exactly the kind of information that you shared in that movie witness of another world and um and i was very impressed because a lot of people within this little research community uh not only researchers but more importantly the people who have had the direct contact experience. I've heard from a lot of them, and they were also very impressed. And I've also had the experience, the direct contact experience. So I am very, very grateful that you made that movie. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for your words. It's, for me, it's been a, a lovely journey sharing this movie, this this message, because I know it's it's kind of unique the way we expose this this content. I felt like I, the viewer, was treated as an adult, and it meant a lot to me to be. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of modern f- documentary filmmaking with rapid fire editing, and it seems like more like a rock video than it does a a, a, a piece of journalism or storytelling. Yeah, that's true. That's true, and I try to avoid those kind of of feeling or aesthetic. I try to. Yes, to show a story of life, a true life story that happened to a man that now he's 52. And I try to, to 
the the message of the movie is a is a healing journey, as you as you as you said, and I'm really thankful for the opportunity of making this kind of of content because at the beginning of the project I had like two two options to make a movie about the UFO phenomenon and try to expose new theories around that phenomenon or try to help a suffering man that was he was in pain for more than four decades and I took that that path try to to get answers to Juan and that's the results of of the movie and that's I think one of the reasons that it's why it's so moving well you did it's a beautiful movie and just a few weeks ago Whitley did a beautiful interview with you and anyone who listens to this interview and has not heard that interview, I think they can be heard in any order. But if you haven't heard that interview, you must go back and listen to it. Uh, he also interviews Dr. Jacques Vallée. And you both shared both the experience of, of making the movie and the power of that. Now, what I want to focus on here is you made an earlier film in 2013, uh, Humano. Is, am I pronouncing that right? Yes, it's a, it's correct. Okay, Humano. And and so there's so many similarities to this first film and your more recent film. And one of the similarities is you play a character in each of these films. You are right there in both of these films. You're 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 the centerpiece of the 2013 film. For the listeners, can you just give a brief introduction of what that film was and how it came to be? Well, it. The beginning of the project was, uh, well, I was studying the Andes. I was studying a lost civilization that was settled in South America. And I was trying to, to, to get evidences from that, from that civilization. So my, one of my main points was to find some, um, how can I say, some, some, there is an ancient, structures below Lake Titicaca. Lake Titicaca is a lake that is shared between Peru and Bolivia. It's one of the most uh, highest uh, lakes in the world. So I went there because two things happened when I was 23. I was having a, an existential crisis when I was 23. I, I wanted to know more about life, about death. I, nothing I didn't find any kind of meaning to to my own life. So I decided to quit everything, my job, my studies, everything. And I needed to go to, to the Andes, to the place that I was studying for more than five years. So it was like something that it needed to be done. So I went there to the Andes and there, well, while I was doing my own research about this lost civilization, I met a shaman, an Andean shaman. And when I, and when I told him that I was searching for this lost civilization, the origin of men, these structures below Lake Titicaca, he replied to me with a, with a pretty short sentence saying to me something like, if you want to learn about humanity, First, you need to be human. And when he said that to me, 
I felt something really weird in my head, in my my body, because I didn't understand what he was telling to me, what is to be, wh- why I'm not a human being from his point of view, from his perspective. And we spent the whole day and he was trying to explain to me the meaning of being human being from his Andean worldview. So in a way, we are all human beings from the genetics or biological perspective, but none from the spiritual perspective. In a way, from the from the Andes point of view, the human condition is a state of mind. It's something that we need to achieve, something that we need it, it needs to be conquered. So it's the first step from for, for them, the first step from their uh, hierarchy is to be a runa. The runa is a human being. Then you can become a Pampa Misayok, Alto Misayok. These are another kinds of levels for their shamanism way of living. So the first step is to be a runa, a human being. So then I decided to to make a journey with him and we spent six months traveling from different places from from the Andes, from the Andean mountains. And by that time I went to the Andes with 200 questions, write it in my notebook. And after a week, I decided to erase at least a hundred questions, and then I rewrote it because I needed my whole uh, perspective and my mission with this journey changed completely because now, by that time, I wanted to know more about what is to be a human being from their point of view. And then I decided to dive more into Andean shamanism because it was my first step with indigenous culture. I was never being interested on indigenous cultures or shamanism. My main interest was just archaeology and the, the search of this lost civilization. But their answer was, if you want to know more about these kind of things from the spiritual realm, first you need to be human. So let's go back to school and then start to to understand what is nature, what they are, what, who are you, et cetera, et cetera. And, and when in this process did the film crew arrive? I mean, this No, were... never. <laughs> I was the only crew in that film. You were, so there was no film crew at all. It was just you. There's actually yeah. a beautiful scene where the uh, Placido is the, is the shaman you're working with. Yes, exactly. You're having a conversation with him, and he takes, he just reaches out and takes the camera out of your hand and points it right back at you. And you don't say anything. You just stand there and look sort of sheepish, I <laughs> Surprise. guess. Surprised. Yes, Surprised. Yes. And he just asks question after question and tells you all these things. And so there was no film crew at all. No. So anytime someone is filming you, you simply handed the camera to whoever was there? Exactly. I sometimes the tripod was a stone. Other times, uh, yes, I, I just managed the, because I didn't know by that time that I was doing a, a film or a movie. 
I, I remember that there is a scene that he asked me, what are you planning to do with this? And I replied like, well, I hope I can do a movie. But my main goal was to record as much as I can uh, with my, instead of writing as to and as a, like a diary, I prefer to, to record it and to have scenes for I don't know what purpose. Um, and, and yes, we were just Placido and myself. Sometimes other people were during our trip because, for example, I was living in his house with his family, with his son, with his daughter, with his wife. And um, for example, I went to Keros. Keros is his the place that he born is an old community in the middle of the mountain that was it was discovered by western people in 19s in the 60s and they that time was the first time that western people knew that there were people that it was they were called the Keros and Placido came from that that village and he, at the age of uh, 18, he moved to Lima, the capital city of Peru, and that's why he started to learn Spanish. Placido is one of the few shamans in Jero's community that knows how to, to communicate with others because the other ones only speak in Quechua language. That's the language for the Incas, for example. My word. So this is this is really a surprise. I had no idea. So the way I pictured the production of this movie, I thought you were sitting around with your film school buddies or something like that and sort of said, here's a good idea for a documentary. I'm going to go off into the mountains and I'm going to have this journey and I'm going to document it. And I almost thought the the idea of the film came first and it's not that at all. No. Your journey, your... No, not at all. Your... Your yearning came first. Exactly, exactly, and well, that's why. Well, I would... more hats off to you. More that uh, now I'm very, <laughs> very. I, I'm got uh, super excited when you told me that because that makes the movie for me. Who I worked did a little bit of work in the film industry. I know sort of what's involved in the thing and the amount of work involved, and I am now much, much more impressed with the the message and the and the movie as a whole. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, for, for your words. It was a really fun experience because I learned a lot from the filmmaking uh, side. But in the other side, it was a, a personal journey. And thanks to the shaman, thanks to Placido, I was in front of the camera because it was not part of my plan to, to be exposed on my own journey. The movie begins with you sitting looking at some photographs of yourself as a young boy. And I can relate to this. So uh, I've I've written about this. I've talked about this. I have suffered most of my life from severe clinical depression. And hmm. I had my own existential crisis. I was a little older. I was 30 when I had mine. And it hmm. changed everything. And basically, you know, the the everything crumbled and I had to rebuild it. So that scene, just the very first opening scene of the film where you're going through your photographs and just noticing that you're not smiling anymore. I, that, I, that was, you were talking right to me. Now, so this movie and Witness of Another World, in essence, they're the same movie. Hmm. You play the person on the journey in one, and Juan is the, is the person on the journey in the other movie. And it was hmm. extremely clear to me that these were, in essence, 
very similar films. You know, this journey, the tempo of the films, the music, there was this very lovely gentleness to both of these films. And so I appreciate that enormously. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for, for noticing that that aspect. And it's true. It's the, the spirit is the, is the same. It almost, it's funny because I watched them right close together and then just even a few days later, there was this blurring. It was like, wait a minute, did this, which, was it this movie or that movie? The movie he, did he look at the pictures in, in which? So, so yes, so they blurred together in a, in a very thoughtful way. Hey, I hate to say this, but we are going to have to interrupt our conversation and we're going to have to take a short commercial break. For free Dreamlanders, you will hear a few commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. We are back on The Unseen with my guest, Alan Stevelman, and we are talking about his first movie, Humano, where he talks about his own personal journey. Now, this movie opens with an animation. There's, there's a several points within the film that are kind of punctuated or, or secondary stories are told mm. through animation. This animation is, is very simple, but at the same time, how to say this it felt like it was i was i was viewing a dream from another culture i was viewing someone else's dream hmm. you know like i know what my own dreams are like this wasn't like that this was this was culturally alien to me these hmm. dreams i mean obviously they're just little narratives or little parables or stories but um there was quite a mood how did how did these this animation get produced that's that's a good question. Well, from the technical perspective, it was all the animation was done. Uh, the same person did it, Emmanuel Figueroa. He's an, an amazing artist from from Argentina. He was the responsible to make this this animation and the intro. He spent more than four months to to do it because he draw a very. It was I think it was like a two meters. A wide a map that he had to draw it from. He he draw it all it, since the beginning, and and I wanted. It, it's a difficult question because I have to to travel back to when I was twenty six, and I I was kind of obsessed with the idea of the tunnels of the Andes. Because that was one of my researches, and yeah, my my quest was what is below the Andes, what is in the art underground. Because according to the legends and according to Spanish chronicles, below the Andes there is a network of chambers, artificial chambers and tunnels that are all connected. According to the legend, all the Americas are connected thanks to these tunnels. And the Inca knew those tunnels and they use it to hide all the treasures, the gold treasures. So the Spanish conquerors took plenty of gold from the Americas, but the most important treasure is still hidden. And I was kind of obsessed about this underworld idea and the idea that according to other myths and legend, there are probably a whole civilization under underground that for me it was something 
really hard to believe. I was quite skeptic. I'm still a very material and skeptic person, um, but I don't know. But that time I wanted to 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 like to plant a seed in the mind of the audience to in a in a very artistic way and try to show that probably under under our earth there is a, a, a like a network of of tunnels and also i decided to to point cusco because there is a at the beginning of the intro there is a light that comes from tibet the himalayas and travels the whole world and then this light landed on the center of Cusco in Peru and and then the the intro continues and show this network of of tunnels so i i wanted to to plant this seed of of idea it's it's really beautiful yeah and i was it's very eerie now the next question who did the music for this film? It's almost not music at all sometimes. It's just like this droning tone that just rides under the visuals and, and uh, very haunting and really gave a depth and a mood that, that was, I just, yeah. I was, I almost want to find that music. I Doing this podcast, I, I, <laughs> I want to underlay some of the audio with a tone like that. And I was like, this is perfect. Well, it was a mix because uh, the main themes that there are three songs they were played by Pilo Garcia. He's, uh, he's from Argentina, a very close friend of mine. And the ambient and the ambient music from animation scenes, for example, it was made from Pablo Pico. He was the sound designer and he also he's an experimental musician. So he experimented a lot with the film and I really like the the outcome of, of the sound of, of, of the movie. Yes, I do too. Yes, yes. Hey, I have been listening to a, a handful of audio interviews that you have done. It's funny, I've, I feel like the people in this little world who are doing UFO podcasting, a lot of them are my friends. So so there's a, <laughs> there's um, Greg Bishop did a beautiful interview and so did Ryan Sprague did a oh, wonderful yeah. interview also in Whitley. What you talked about in those interviews was the synchronicities that were emerging during the filmmaking. And some of them went beyond synchronicities, um, yes. but they were almost like magical moments when you were producing the movie um, Witness of Another World. Now, for this movie, were there any similar type of synchronistic events? Oh, that's an excellent question. And I think it was because, as I said, I was at the beginning of the project for, for three years. I was searching about uh, this lost civilization. And I remember a friend of mine told me that there will be a lecture about Andean worldview three blocks away from my house. And I went there. There were It was a, a very tiny place. I think it was 10, pe 10 people there or 12. And it was organized by uh, a travel agency from Cusco. It was one of the hosts was Placido. It was his first time that he traveled uh, away from, from Peru. And he went to Argentina in order to explain 
this Andean worldview to share the, the whole mission of this of this lecture was to sell tickets to to Peru because it was organized by a travel agency and they got a shaman to explain the the roots of of Peru and it was my first time and connection with Placido but I didn't know at that time that he was a shaman I met him as a, a tour guide and I think it was one year and a half later I wrote to him and and asked him if I can be in touch when I go to to Peru and thanks to my friend that she invited me to to be present of to this lecture I was able to make this movie because if not I will make a, the humano will never exist because I will never meet Placido. I had to be on that lecture in that moment. And thanks to my investigation on this lost civilization, I was able to make not just Humano, I, I was able to make witness. And I always thought that uh, the search of this lost civilization, it will be my first movie, my first project. Now I have to tell you that it will be my next project. But I was not able to make this project when I was 22. I I had to get plenty of experiences and be more mature in order to enter this kind of content because it's really hard to explain this whole idea of a lost civilization that was settled in the Americas probably uh, during the Ice Age or pre the Ice Age. So we are talking about probably 20,000 years ago or more. And when I was 22, I was really willing to make this movie, but I, I was not ma uh, mature enough. If you look to my two, two movies, the first one, I needed to understand who am I? what is to be a human being. So it was a quite emotional journey for me, for myself. And and for me, the, w watching it too, I have to say. My partner Andrea and I both watched it and we were both very moved. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And and Witness, it was, it was also very emotional for me and for Juan, of course. But it for me, it was more like... Uh, how can I say it was like uh, alterate state of mind experience because my whole perception of reality change, I was able to understand much better the supernatural realm. And now with those experiences, I'm able to enter and make this new movie about the lost civilization because I have more tools to, to make this happen. So, you in that first movie, um, you allowed yourself to appear very vulnerable and very lost in that film. All your doubts and all your fears were right there on the surface. It didn't feel like anything was hidden. And at one point in that movie, you walk into a turquoise lake and I mean, you're in your underwear and so is the shaman i mean it's a little i was like i was like wow that's really that's that would be a tough sell i think for an actor you know right okay you know you're just now get in your underwear and we're gonna put you in this movie so, and and you and you said you said you were 
this was a ritual of giving yourself to the water. Yes. The water from the melting glaciers. These glaciers are from the ancient snows. And, and Placido equated the ancient snowfall to the ancient wisdoms. And there they were in that beautiful, cold, turquoise lake. So, and here's my, I guess my question. Did you know at the time when you were being filmed that this would later be turned into a, to a, like a feature film? Oh, no. No, not at all. And I think that's almost better if you didn't know. Yes, of course. And it was more spontaneous. And also for me, it was sometimes I had plenty of hard experiences that I was not allowed to shoot it because, for example, the night before that I entered to this lake, I was feeling awful. I, after hiking more than 10 hours, we arrived to this mountain of Sangate. We spent the whole night there. I, it was a special night because it was August the 3rd. It's a really special date for indigenous cultures. It's the Pachamama's Day. It's a day that is really special because they say that the spirits are close to us. It's the day that the spirits are, it's like the closest moment that these spirits are next to us. So it's a very special day. But on the other hand, I was feeling, I was literally feeling that I was dying the whole night because I get a pretty heavy headache. I was with plenty of fever. I was a little bit hallucinating. Um, and the Amplacio told me that I, my body was not well prepared to connect with this realm. In one hand, my consciousness and my spirit was prepared because it was really powerful, but my body was not well prepared enough. So that was, I was receiving attacks. That was, was his words. So I spent the whole night feeling really awful. And I was not able to record that scene because it will be wonderful to have me like hallucinating, having fever, but there was no cameraman there to grab my camera and record myself. So the next day, that was the day that I entered to this lake. I was feeling really awful. And when I came out the lake, I was feeling much more better. I was purely, I, I was healed. The whole pain, my stomach was feeling better. My, there was no headache. I was that I, it, I was really happy. And that's why I started to make some funny dances. And it was purely spontaneous. Well, and the, uh, and the dancing shows up again in your follow-up movie, in Witness, where there's so much dancing that takes place. And I and I recognize that dancing was in both of these films. And Oh, yes. It took place, it took place spontaneously with a healing, yeah. It, it, you're right. There is a relationship between movement, dance, and healings. But... but during Umano, I was not conscious enough. So I, the, the only way to express my happiness was, was to make those those movements. And there were some local folks playing, it looked like drums right in the background there? Yeah. 
Yes. And they carried the drums up there to this. They hiked ten hours with drums. Yes, uh, because all the rituals are full of music, and especially drums and flutes. Now these men they came up there to to help you. So there was a there was a team of men. It looked like that was there along with Placido, and they did this ten hour hike. Was that for you that they did the no. hike? No, 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 no. It was for for them or for the whole community. It's a special day, and it's it's usually people make like a how do I pilgrim pilgrimage? Sure, pilgrimage exactly to Osangate because Osangate is the highest mountain in the in the Cusco Valley. So it's really important for them that mountain. Okay, wonderful. Hey, I apologize. Once again, we are going to have to take a break. This is our second and final break. For free Dreamlanders, you're going to hear a few commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. We are back on The Unseen with my guest, Alan Stevelman, and we are talking about his film, Humano. Now, here's a question for you. Did you ever read the book by Dr. John Mack, titled Passport to the Cosmos. It came out in 1999, I believe. Yes, I read it when I was studying the abduction phenomenon. And John Mack was my, it was like my door to enter this phenomenon. Because the first step that I took before, uh, beforehand, the witness of another world, I was doing a script. It was a, a fiction story. And it was about uh, an abduction case from a couple of teenagers. And I was doing automatic writing by that time. And after whoa, 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 whoa. Third... wait, wait, you were doing automatic writing? Yes. Okay. I... Okay. So now yeah. here's, were you writing the script automatically? Yes. Yes. Because wow. I was doing like, uh, it was a new technique for me. And I was trying to practice my writing skills. And then I decided to make automatic writing. And after some weeks, I realized that I was writing a story about an abduction from a couple. She was pregnant from dimensional entities. Bible, I think I, I had to, to read it again. I, I never read it, but uh, I think they were angels from the Bible that took her and make like uh, an embryo on on her stomach. Um, that, that's already in the Bible. That 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 story. <laughs> yeah, I, and I think it come across, and then I decided to make. I I don't know because it was from my unconscious. Um, but after thirty pages, I I said to myself, I know nothing about abduction. I know nothing about extraterrestrial hypotheses, and then I decided to bought the the books from John Mack contact no con I don't remember abduction this. is the first abduction one. yes yeah. abduction and and the other one yes now the reason I asked about passport to the cosmos because I guess it it applies a little more to witness your second film for those of the listeners who may not know the the premise of the book passport to the cosmos written by Dr John Mack he was a Harvard psychiatrist I think he was chair of the psychiatry department I I, I think I have that right. So he wrote a book where he compared and contrasted the UFO contact experience, what we would call UFO abduction, 
to the shamanic initiation process. Mm. And he basically equated he basically equated that they were the same thing in essence or they were mirroring each other in a way that was that that he took note of. And he's not the only one that has noticed that. So it's very interesting that you already had I guess now I'll go back to half a step was your experience in the Andes that was yes. recorded in your first movie was was this an initiation for you to become a shaman? Uh, that's a hard one. Um, well, I thought that my experience in Peru with the shamanism, I, I, I remember that while I was speaking with the audience, while I was presenting Humano, plenty of people asked me, okay, what's next? What, what are you going to do with shamanism uh, now because you are a shaman, because I had an initiation. And then I always said, no, 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 I'm not a shaman. I did not receive an initiation. Umano was my, 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 like my first step. I'm my end step with shamanism. My next movie will not have nothing to do with shamanism. And the funny <laughs> thing, yeah, and the funny thing was that while I was studying, the Juan story, we realized with Dr. Nestor Berlanda that Juan had plenty of shaman roots in his blood because he came, he came from the Guarani tribe. And my first step that I took doing this film was to go to the jungle and to interview these shamans. I decided to go to the closest uh, tribe to the open once because Guarani tribe are one of the most important indigenous cultures in South America, but they are really close. They are warriors and they don't like white men. They have their, uh, their reasons, of course. And I, when I went there, I remember that I was received by Plutarco and Plutarco told us to the whole crew that he dreamt about our visit. He knows the reasons of why are we here. And he were welcoming us. And he was decided to open his community, his knowledge, and he will be able to speak for the first time about the secrets of the supernatural world and all his Guarani knowledge. So for me, it was more than a gift. And I will never say again that I I'm ended with the with shamanism. So that that's a good answer because I've I've talked to many shamans and in the I how to say the real ones I I'll ask hey are you a shaman and if they kind of go well you know that's a <laughs> that's a difficult question and that's a very personal question and then I know they're a shaman. <laughs> Sometimes people <laughs> will just sort of blurt out like hey I'm a shaman and I then I have yes. to take a couple of steps back and go wait a minute but at the same time <laughs> shamanism is a there's no definition in the dictionary. Exactly. Now, now I'm going to ask you, what is your definition of a shaman? Well, for my perspective, a shaman is a person that has the ability to enter and penetrate other realms. And for me, in my own definition, Juan is a potential shaman. He's acting as a shaman but so far he's not fully aware of his full potential because I know he has, for example, 
the healing gift, but he's not healing anyone, just his animals, for example, because he's not fully aware. But I know deeper in my heart that he will become like a healing man or a medicine man in a near future. Not now, but probably in five years or ten. He's, it's on his own, it's on his destiny. But but I think not everyone... Well, you sound like a shaman right now when you say that kind of thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm uh, probably I'm hiding in my film, uh, how do I say, in my in my role as a filmmaker. My exterior role is a filmmaker, but I don't know. I'm trying to guess who I am also, thanks to my to my movies and my research. So your your journey is transparent. It's right there on the screen. I mean, we can I can sense the journey that took place in both these movies. I mean, it's there's a filmmaker named Bill Moyers, and he did you ever see there was a series of interviews with mythologist Joseph Campbell? They were called power of myth oh yes 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 i saw it yes eight hours i think it, it they are eight or ten hours yes 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 seven or eight hours yes and i watched them first on vhs actually i watched them on pbs ages ago that won't mean anything to you now uh i think it's in that i'm not sure where he says it no so bill moyers was the fellow who did the interviews and he did a lot of of uh, very sensitive and very provocative documentaries also hundreds of them, oftentimes very short for television. And he said there are two types of documentaries. There's one where you have a you have an idea that you want to present and you you know what the documentary is before you're going to make it. Mm. And he says there's another kind that you don't know, have any idea how it's going to turn out before you before you start. You just begin making it exactly. and the documentary is the journey. Yes. Now you so you're obviously coming from the the, yes, that the, kind. That yeah. kind, yeah. So. And it's really, it's really hard to find investors that are willing to to give money. Just <laughs> give me, and I will see what I will come with the, with this money. Yes. Well, and my next project is all about uh, this kind of, of film. It's a really high budget movie because we are willing and we want to make an excavation in Cusco. That's the whole purpose of this movie because for the first time. We want to expose the hardcore evidences of this lost civilization, that there was a very big and high-tech uh, civilization that was settled in the Americas way before the history books are telling us about our past. Okay, so you do have a good premise of this third film. Oh, yeah. Ahead of time. Oh, yeah. Okay. And it's not a documentary. It's a scripted film or... No, no, no. It's a documentary. Okay. We want to make an, a real excavation and okay. we want to I want to travel to India to to talk to experts of Vedic uh, books and text because they all speak plenty of culture. Egypt uh, in, from India in Tibet, also the Bon religion. Everyone speaks about their gods, that there was a very big civilization, that they were like their fathers for them. It was like a solar race. Some of them, the Greeks called them as the Hyperborea or the Aryans. Uh, for example, in Tibet, they are known as the people from Shambhala. 
and in, in also in the Andes happened the same thing. So I want to bring all these pieces together and try to portray the whole picture. It's the same that uh, Grant Hancock speaks on his books. I want to have him on board. I'm waiting for his response. And also I will be working with Anselm Pirambla. He's a Spanish researcher and he will be the main character of the excavation in Peru. We know where are the location for these tunnels and we want to to show these evidences because we think that we are in the right time to expose these discoveries. And I will add that in your first film, Humano, there's much of it takes place in caves and in these dark hallways that I think are in Machu Picchu. Is that right? There's these. Uh, yes, there is was in Machu Picchu and also in in Sacsayhuaman that it's near Cusco. So very interesting. Very interesting. Now, now you don't know me, but I, I taught. Out, well, I still teach these skills. I taught outdoor skills starting in 1994, and I've been teaching them. That's now 25 years ago. And I have spent a lot of time in the wilderness. Um, I have taught, I taught at a school where we would go out for 30 days at a time. So I've spent a lot of time in big, big isolated wilderness in Alaska, in Canada, and in the Rockies. So when all this terrain that you, where you were hiking in the Andes... Oftentimes you were hiking in your camera, you looked tired. <laughs> and I was like, and you were at high elevation? Yeah, uh, like mm, 4,000. In that footage, when I'm really tired, I was almost 5,000 meters above the sea level. Okay, so I know what that means because I have taken people up to that elevation many times. And so I, so I, me personally, I felt like, like the terrain was familiar, like that glacial lake. I've been to many lakes yeah. like that, mm -hmm. um, but the culture was exotic. So, so in some sense, I f I understood what it meant to be remote. And I don't know how much time you had spent in that type of terrain mm -hmm. leading up to this, but but um, for me, there's a very powerful spiritual reward for going into that that wilderness. You know, leaving one society. Some people call it the real world. I don't know if you use that term. Like, you know, the world with telephones and traffic and appointments. That's People call that the real world. And this other world is something else. But I I feel strongly that that wilderness is also the real world. Yes. And I take, sort of take offense to that term. So Yes. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that had you spent that much time in there? Was that also part of the spiritual journey, this kind of immersion into a wilderness environment, especially a harsh wilderness environment that's cold and, and it's hard to breathe in? Well, I spent six months in in the Andes. And what I learned is that sometimes it's really necessary to be in really hard environment because you will challenge your own mind. You will push, you will push yourself to your own boundaries. And... And I remember I was really hard. My I was quite a skeptic. I was really suffering with my own thoughts, but I was willing to push me further. And I, I was 
I wanted to break my own barriers and because I because I was really hard, I needed to go to one of the most hardest places in the world. And this is the Andes, Tibet, Alaska. And it was really necessary to to push myself to these boundaries, to go to to really cold places. For example, one of the tales that they told me was that if we want to become uh, Alto Misayok, that is one of the highest levels in, sham- in Andean shamanism, sometimes you have to go to a cave, for example, in Lake Titicaca, the lake in the movie, that is this frozen lake, and you spend a week or 10 days or 12, whatever it takes, in inside of this frozen cave, until you receive a thunder. A thunder will hit your body and you will like get unconscious for a couple of minutes and then you will receive the, the rumis. The rumis are like the stones, the magical stones. And with that rumi, you will become as Alto Misayok and you will be able to communicate with the Apus. The Apus are the spirits from the mountains. So this, it's like their cell phone for them. They give you these stones as a way to communicate with that realm. But nowadays, there are no people that want to spend two weeks or three weeks in this frozen lake. So we are losing this ancient tradition because young people from from the mountains, from the Andes, or from the Warani are suffering the same thing. Western society are entering to these villages, to this community, and giving them our technology, our distraction, I think. That's the best way to describe. Our distraction are killing these ancient traditions. But I think after this earthquake of knowledge, something new will happen. I have a positive uh, perspective. Uh, I don't know what, what will be the outcome. Probably nothing good will happen. But after that, a new beginning will happen in a new different way. Uh, you are talking the language of the UFO abductee when you say that. I mean, what you're saying is nothing that I haven't heard from people who have had UFO contact. Let me put it that way. Now, I recognize that too, that these tools, computers and and cell phones and Western music and is very seductive. And, hmm. it, and it can be, and I have been to many in America here, Indian reservations and, and hmm. they can be terribly sad places. There's a broken, hmm. people are broken and it's, you can just see it in the faces. And, at the same time, their traditions, many of them have been lost, but the ones that are remaining, I think that people are clinging to them, and, and I hope they remain. And I think that your films certainly give me hope that that these, these traditions that are unfamiliar to me, they are not my traditions, but I, I hope that they remain. Now, in a, in a time not long ago, there would have been someone— you know, a few hundred years ago, in every village, uh, 
who would be able to aid and guide the tribe, right? The shaman. Yes. So if someone had a spiritual question, you know, they would have a resource. You could just walk to the teepee at the edge of the village and ask the shaman, I had a powerful experience, I had a visionary experience, whether that's seeing a flying saucer or whether that's being in an existential crisis. And I worry that we no longer have that. Yes. But these same tools, these same computers, like I could just click on iTunes and download your movie mm-hmm. and and watch it. And so so I'm I'm using this technology and I'm I'm hopeful. So what is your role in 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 this? Yes, uh that's a hard one because I usually uh, ask myself the same things, the same question, because sometimes I want to quit all and go to the mountains and end of story, just live there among the animals, nature, my books, my research. But then I spend probably, I don't know, five, six hours with my cell phone, reading, working, studying, uh, I think that everything has to be in balance because we have this technology and if we use it on a good way, we will achieve pretty good stuff. For example, making movies, making books, making podcasts that connect people, spread the knowledge. Um, but what I've been seeing during my research in these kind of communities, for example, because they are so innocent in a way because they are not born with this technology, they get easily distracted and they are not going in pilgrimage or they don't want to make more rituals. They just want to use North Face clothes or use iPhones and that's the sad part of the story. And probably, I don't know what will be the result of this interaction. But in the other hand, a plenty of white men or Western people are getting interested on this knowledge or these kind of topics. Um, and that's the positive uh, way that I'm seeing this combination of technology, distraction, ancient knowledge. Uh, but it, I think it's really important. For example, in my case, I try to disconnect from everything and make a journey or make a trip to the wilderness and just to clear my mind. Uh, for example, a couple of days I was in the desert. I went to Morocco and... I, I was in the desert, in the mountains, also connecting to the people, to to the local tribes. And for me, it's like that's my food, my inner food. And those practices are really important to to have it periodically. I, I know it's not easy to, to quit everything and make some trips, but we have to be able to know ourselves and know what is better for us. And in my case, to make trips and read some books, 
that's my my spiritual food and that gives me power to make more films or want to know more and that's my like my recipe alan i want to thank you so much this interview has been a total delight thank you mike it was a pleasure and it was really nice to to chat in with you and with all your audience and i'm sure they'll be grateful too i certainly am thank you thank, thank you this is mike and i am chiming in after the editing i i don't know how clear it was in the audio interview but i was blown away when Alan said that he didn't plan on making a movie and that it was all just this footage from what amounted to a video diary of his time with Placido, the the shaman. Uh, That really struck me as something powerful. Now, that he actually put together this feature-length film that's that's engaging from beginning to end, that he put that together from this footage that he shot with no real intention of doing anything with it except it being a diary, that, that to me, hints at something sort of magical taking place here. Now, this film, and I don't want to give anything away, at the culmination of this film, this is not a spoiler, there's a scene that ends with a candle being blown out fades to black, and then they roll the credits. Now that scene, there's a powerful thing that takes place at that scene. It is unbelievably simple. And when Andrea and I were watching this, when that scene took place, both of us audibly gasped. We both went, "Ah!" So, so there's something remarkable in this very subtle, simple film. And and I don't want to fawn over it too much. I feel like I and I felt like I I did that enough uh, during my talk with Alan. A couple of small things here. At one point in the audio interview, um, Alan said he was at a high elevation. He said he was just below five thousand meters. Now five thousand meters, and I actually had to use my my little desk calculator to figure this out. 5,000 meters in elevation is 16,400 feet. Now, he said he was just below that, so if we call that 15,000 feet, that's pretty darn high. That is some real deal elevation. And, uh, for example, Mount Whitney, the highest point in the continental United States, Mount Whitney in the Sierras, is 14,505 feet. That is the very tippy top. That is the summit. And I'll tell you, that that mountain kicks some people's butt as far as just the elevation alone, not the physical exertion getting up there, just the lack of oxygen. So the fact that he was huffing and puffing, I understand that. So I've, I've only been to that elevation a very few times. And, and people suffer, like athletes suffer at that elevation. Now... Another thing that that I want to point out, and I'm going to read this back because I wrote it down. When I was talking to Alan about the the lessons of being in a harsh environment and what he took away from it and the, the rewards from it, he said, and I'm reading this here, he said, what I learned, it's really necessary to be in a hard environment because you will challenge your own mind. You will push yourself beyond your own boundaries. 
Now, during this conversation, I talked about the fact that I had worked for many years at an outdoor school. And what he was saying there is what what we as instructors, as guides, were encouraged to do, to, to set these trips up so that the clients, the students, would be able to push themselves beyond their own boundaries. And this was a remarkably rewarding job for me to, to spend 20 years doing that for, for really motivated people. It was remarkably rewarding for myself and for my clients. And I, I'll also say that, like he said exactly the thing that I, as an instructor, would love to hear in my best students, in my best clients. So, so that almost felt like a kind of deja vu for me when he said exactly those words. And one more thing, I did not do the thing that a podcaster is supposed to do. At the end of every interview, you're supposed to say, so um, how do people find out more about you? And then the person gives their website. I, I forgot to do that. So here I'm doing it now. Alan Stevelman has a website, and it is alanstevelmanmyportfolio.com. And I'll spell that for you. Alan, A-L-A-N, Stevelman, S-T-I-V-E-L-M-A-N, all one word, dot myportfolio. Dot com And that's his website. You can contact him through there, and it has trailers and information on how to get his movies. Now, Humano is available on YouTube. You can watch the entire movie for free on YouTube. Unfortunately, there are no subtitles, so it's all in Spanish. It is very easy to find online and purchase it or rent it. I got it through iTunes, which, which is now called Apple TV. And it was easy to get, and it's a beautiful print. And it's a very lovely movie. I would like to take this moment to thank Lauren Cutts for his intro and outro music. And I would also like to thank Andrea Lisette Villiers on the gong. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now. <laughs>